Ephesians chapter 3, and this is our fifth year as a faith family where we start um, in January asking every member to seek the Lord for a word for the year, basically one word that is anchored in the word of God that will become your prayer um, for the new year. Um, and every year as I seek God for that word, um, it's not just a word for me personally, I also pray it over my family and over um, the faith family, so therefore it's not just for me and I think if, if we think about it, every word that God's going to give us this year is not just for us, it's for others. If we live it out um, the way we're supposed to, other people are going to be affected, other people are going to see it, other people are going to, to see whatever that is that God is doing in our lives. So in introducing today my word for the year, I have to be honest with you because this is church and this is always a good place to be honest. But I have to be honest and say that there are things in my life or things, amazing things that God has done in my life, that God has done in my family's life, that God has done in the life of this church that at times has led me to become content. As if, God, this is enough. And as if, Lord, this is as good as it's going to get. And let me, in this whole picture of being honest, I think there are other times um, where God has allowed difficulty and suffering in my life, most of those being self-inflicted, um, that has led me to either falsely believe that um, things would never improve or even to believe that God is done with me. And I, I think when we think about that, I, I think that's probably a clear picture um, in all of our lives. And in, in the midst of both of these scenarios, whether it be great successes that we have or maybe even great failures, I believe in the midst of those that God has still written, um, God has written a word over the life of his children and that word is more. Word is more, meaning regardless of how things were in 2017, whether things were really, really good or whether things were really, really bad through failures or through difficulties, I believe that God has more in store for his children. Believe that with all my heart. God is not finished with us. In fact, if God was finished with us, you wouldn't be here. So the fact that you are here shows that God is not done with you. And in case you need me to prove this um, through Scripture, and if you take notes, you can just write down these two references, Exodus 33.1 and Luke 22.32. In Exodus 33.1, the people of Israel had been at Mount Sinai. They had experienced God. They experienced the... I'm giving of the commandments they experienced just being called God's children. And in the midst of all of this, yet um, in the midst of all the amazing things, God comes to them in Exodus 33 and says, it's time for you to leave. It's time for you to leave this mountain. I've got more for you than this mountain. I have a land that I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it's time for you to get to that. And sometimes, if we were to be honest, if we were Moses and the people of Israel, let's just stop there, let's just build a church here, let's just stay here forever. And sometimes God has to remind us, no, I've got more. Things are really good, and things are happening in a good way, but I've got more for you. Then in Luke 22, we think about the failure side of it. God, or Jesus comes to Peter and says, you're going to fail me. You're going to deny me. This is who, what's going to happen in your life. But then Jesus says to Peter, but after all that's happened, once you've turned again, then strengthen your brothers. So this picture is Jesus tells Peter, you're going to fail. There's going to be failure, self-inflicted failure in your life. But Peter, I'm not done with you. 
I'm not done with you. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to use you again. So regardless of where we find ourselves today, I can say confidently through the Word of God that God has more planned for our lives. And just think with me, how big can you dream? How big can you dream? How many of you would admit today that you have bold, vivid, big imaginations? So a few of us um, have really big imaginations. It's really good. Or let me say it like this for the rest of you. How many of you have ever eaten something different and had crazy dreams as a result of it? So that's the rest of us. So most of us, we've like, man, where in the world did that dream come from? And we're like, well, I had spaghetti. Don't normally do that. Maybe that's what happened there. And all of a sudden, crazy dreams. And the problem is sometimes our dreams are more affected by food or by our circumstances than by the fact that we have a God who lives in us and is with us. Sometimes if we're not careful in the midst of big human dreams in the midst of big imaginations, we don't believe the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. And what I mean by that is this. Many people who claim the name of God spend more time thinking about what they would do if they win the lottery than about the fact that God is with them. Just think about that reality. We spend more time thinking here than here. God is with us. He is in us. He wants to do a work here right where he is. And when we think about this, maybe we believe that God can answer us, but sometimes we secretly fear that he won't. Or what we do is we give God an easy way out by either asking generic things from God or we never ask huge things from God because we're afraid if we ask it, then we have to step out on faith and believe it. So we stay in this kind of um, nice little area that we're comfortable in and we're, we're nice and we're happy there. And let me just say this, as I saw God's word um, for this year, I could not get away from that word. And the word is more. And I believe with all my heart and God just really spoke to me through his word that God has more in store for my life, for my family's life. But praise God for the also for the life of this his church. The question becomes, will I, will we expect more from God? And then will I, or will we ask for more? Will we ask God to do more in our lives, to do more in the life of this, his church? Will we do it? I love the words of the 17th century Christian theologian, Benjamin Jowett. And listen to what he said. What I have asked for or believe God for is nothing compared to the ability of my God to give. I ask for a cup full and the ocean remains. I ask for a sunbeam and the sun abides. My best asking falls immeasurably short of my father's giving. Let me say it again. My best asking falls immeasurably short of my father's giving. It's beyond all that we can ask or believe. And so let's dive into the word this morning. Let's hear what God would say to us, a God who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. So if you have Bibles and if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word today. We're going to read Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21 and then dive into this together. So it says this, and what we're doing is we're coming into a prayer that Paul is kind of writing. He's praying this prayer beginning at verse 14, and we're coming in at the back end of it. And it says this, Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you. That is that is you. That is the God that we serve. And the God that we serve is a God who desires to do more. Lord, just forgive us for where we get content, Father, for where you have worked. Lord, that we are oftentimes like the disciples, like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, saying we can just stay here. And yet, God, you have more. And Father, we pray that we would not get content, but continue to seek you and all that you have for us. In the same way, Lord, sometimes in the midst of our failure, we are led to believe by the enemy that we are done with, that you have written us off. And just remind us today, Lord, remind those that are here today, God, that you're not done. God, you're not done. You have more in store. And God, just help us to grab a hold of this today um, in, in a way, Lord, that will bring you ultimate glory. Just speak to your people through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So this picture that we're going to unpack today, my prayer for myself, my family, for this church is that God would do abundantly more. A woman once asked a famous British evangelist, G. Campbell Morgan, she asked him this, Dr. Morgan, do you think we should pray about the little things in our lives or should we just pray about the big things? To which Dr. Morgan responded, Madam, can you think of anything in your life that's big to God. And so the, the point that we have to understand, sometimes that's what we do. We break things up into this is what I can handle. This is what um, only God can handle. And God says, both of those are the same size to me. The things that you think are easy and the things that you think are, are just uh, absolutely above your ability are all the same to me. I mean, the, the point is our big stuff is little stuff in the presence of an infinite, almighty God. And we have to understand that reality. So this morning, what I want us to do in our time together is I want to turn our attention to two truths today. To, number one, who it is that we are trusting in. Who it is that we are trusting in. And then what it is that we are trusting him for. Who it is that we're trusting in. And then what we're trusting him for. And the truth that I pray that we will see today is that God is so much more than we could ever wrap our heads around. And then secondly, God can do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I just pray that we would see that and wrap our heads around a little part of that. So the first picture, the first truth that we're going to unpack today is this. The God who is abundantly more. We're going to look at this picture of the God who is abundantly more. And I love how Paul begins this last section here in this prayer. He says, now to him. Now to him. The, the him is the important part. So we realize we're coming in in the middle of a, a prayer. And here's what I know about oftentimes the way that we pray. If we are not careful, our prayers are oftentimes focused on our wants and our needs, and very little is it focused on God and who He is and coming to know more of Him. In fact, we say it like this. Oftentimes, we rush right past God in order to get to ourselves. We rush right past Him in order to get to our wants, our needs, what we think we have to have, all while forgetting sometimes who it is that we're praying to. 
who it is that he is that we are coming into his presence. Just think about who God is. Who else do you know that is, is high and yet humble? Who else do you know that's strong yet sensitive or righteous and yet gracious or powerful and yet merciful or authoritative and yet still tender of heart who is holy and still forgiving or who else do you know that's com that's absolutely just and will always do the right thing yet compassionate or is angry and yet gentle or firm and yet friendly this is the god of of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we see a continuing revelation of who God is. Yet the beautiful thing, I believe, after every revelation that the Bible gives us of the Word of God, the Bible would have us to know that God is more. So every time a revelation of who God is, the Bible would have us know that God is more than that. So if you're just holding on to one little truth and say, this is my truth, the Bible says there's more of God than that. There's more of him for us to know, and he would have us to know that. Let me just show you a, a very small progression of this in Scripture. So we begin Genesis 1. We, God reveals himself as our glorious creator. So we have this picture. God is our creator. God reveals himself as the creator of all things, the creator of all of us. And yet, I don't know if you know this, but we live in a society, we live in a culture that stands against that truth and stands against that in probably one of two ways. Either there are those who say, yeah, I believe that something created all of this, but obviously from looking around that that something doesn't really care about us, um, therefore we shouldn't give much attention to whatever that is that created everything, whatever it might be. So that's one thought, but then of course the, the other thought is those who say there is no God, um, and, and therefore all of this happened in a, in a different way, by chance or by evolution. And the question for them needs to be, if there is no God, then why is there something instead of nothing? So if there's, if there's nothing out there, then why is there something instead of nothing? Those who hold to the idea that there is no God must realize that their claim is really unsustainable. It's an unsustainable claim. Think about this. In order to say that something is not there means that you should have searched out there uh, all the possibilities to make sure it's not there. If I were to stand before you today and say there is not one pen in this entire room, it should mean that I have searched this entire room and every person in this room and have come back with the conclusion that there is not a pen here. I've looked and no one has a pen. In order for us to say that there is no God requires or should require that we have searched everywhere for him and come back with the conclusion that he doesn't exist. Someone put it like this. I love this. In order to say that God is not there means that you have searched all knowledge to see if God is there. And if you have searched all knowledge, then it means that you have all knowledge. And by definition, that makes you God. And therefore, you are denying your own existence. So let that just sink in for just a second or blow your minds for just a, a moment. I was talking to a, a person, um, a Winn-Dixie, a cashier a few weeks ago, and Weird conversation. I'm just checking out, and she all of a sudden just said, hey, I have a Bible question. And, I mean, she didn't know I'm a pastor, had no idea, but just random has a Bible question. And, um, you know, I start going into the detail about it. Weird question of all questions for it to be. But then I said, you know, think about the Word of God. She said, well, I don't believe in God. And I said, well, if you don't believe in God, then what's, what's your alternative? 
you know, I said, what do you believe? And she said, well, I just choose not to believe anything because um, she said, I, I just, if I believe in God, God's just too hard to believe in. And I said, isn't it kind of a good thought that you should think that if God did exist, that he would be greater than our mind's ability to wrap around him? And if we could understand everything, that he would not be God? And she was like, well, that's something to think about. And I said, well, that's a good start. Start, start there and see what God does in and through that. And I was in there this week, and she saw me and said, I've been thinking about what you said, and I want to finish our conversation. So I said, God, give me another opportunity um, for, for this. But think about this. Here, here's a truth for us to, to just wrap our, our heads around. We, we don't need more proof to understand that God is our creator. We have evidence. Here's the truth. Every time you walk into a building, you know there was a builder. Every time you see a movie or a show, you know there was a director or a producer. Every time you see a watch, you know that it had a designer. Every time you see a piece of art, you know there was an artist. Every time you see order, you know that there was an orderer. There was one who put it all in order. And we see the creation and we see all of that in creation. I love Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. And then listen to this. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. So we start with God as creator. And then another revelation from scripture is God is not just our creator. He's also our righteous judge. He is our judge. Throughout the word of God, there are countless examples of God unleashing his power, sometimes in in small amounts, to bring judgment to rebellious sinners. He brought the flood in Noah's day. He confused the languages of the proud and rebellious people at the Tower of Babel. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He unleashed the ten plagues on Egypt and then destroyed the Egyptian army. And then, of course, in his greatest act of judgment, he poured out all of his wrath against sin upon his son at the cross. I love people that will say, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is wrath. The God of the New Testament is love. And I always say, then you don't understand what happened at the cross. You don't understand what happened at the cross. For at the cross, God poured out all of his judgment upon his son who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what happened at the cross? So God is the righteous judge, but then he is also the gracious savior. We see this picture. God saved his people in Egypt, delivering them out, and God also does the impossible for us through Christ. He saves us The whole picture of conversion of a soul is not the display of human willpower or not the display of human morality. The whole picture of salvation is the display of God's gracious power in taking what is dead in trespasses and sins, that's us, and making us alive together in Christ. In taking what were his enemies and by his grace bringing us into his family. This is a picture of what he has done for us. But let me just say this. When we think about creator or judge or savior, let me say this. God is more still. He's more still. He's a strong refuge that we run to. He's a faithful provider. He is a powerful defender. And yet he is still more than that. Will you and I, will we make it our aim in 2018 to know the one who is more 
than all of that to make it our aim to know him more. He's so much more. May we make it our aim to know him more. To know him in a way that he wants to be known. He's working. He's revealing. Let us know that. So the God who is abundantly more. Help us to seek in to that. To dig into that. And he will reveal himself to us. But then the second and last truth. And of course that just is there to make you feel better. That this will eventually end. But the last truth is this. The God who is able to do abundantly more. So not only is God more. He's able to do abundantly more. I love what, he, what Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. I love other versions of that, immeasurably, abundantly, above all. He's able to do abundantly more than all we can ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. Love the words of John Newton who said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I think oftentimes our problem is not that we ask too much from God. I think oftentimes our problem is we ask too little from God. We ask too little from God. Just think about what you have asked God for over the past week. Just think with me what you have asked God for this past week and then answer these questions. Do your prayers show that you really believe in God? I think if we look back at our prayer life and go, man, I didn't pray for anything this week, then do we believe God? Do we believe there's a God? Do we believe that he cares? Do we believe that he, he knows that he's interested in all of our, our ways and everything that we go through, every care of our lives? Do you, does your prayer life show that maybe you don't really believe that God cares for you or is able to do much for you, so therefore you don't ask for much for him or do your prayer life show that you have huge faith in a God who loves you and cares for you and longs to do good things in you and for you? Oh, I pray that we do that. I pray that we understand that, that we grab a hold of that. I think of the book, A Slow and Certain Light. In it, Elizabeth Elliot, who was a missionary in Ecuador, tells of, of two adventurers who stopped by to see her. And they were loaded with all kinds of equipment in order for them to go into the rainforest of the Andes. And they sought no advice from her. They just had a few questions concerning a few phrases that they wanted to be able to share uh, with the Indians. And she writes this, Sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me, confident, and we think well-informed and well-equipped. But has it ever occurred to us that with all our accumulation of stuff, that something is missing. We think we know what we need, a simple yes or no answer to a simple question, or perhaps we need a road sign, something quick and easy to point the way. Yet what we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, and few useful phrases are good things, but infinitely better is someone who has been there and knows the way. And brothers and sisters, what if our prayer each day was this? God, above all that's going on in my life, God, regardless of above all that's going on in my body, regardless of what's going on and above what's going on in my family's life, God, I want you. I want you. God, because I realize that if I have you, I have 
the, the one who's able to meet every need in my body, in my family, or anything else that's going. So above all of that, God, I need and I want you. What if we pressed in to God knowing that he is more than we can think and he is able to do more than we could ever imagine? Think of those three words. God is able. There aren't many things. Uh, Three-word, nine-letter sentences that can stir a person's heart the way that one can. God is able. Just think with me what that means. When we say God is able, what it means is this. God can do more than us. God can do more than us. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Perhaps I'm catching you on a, a day when you admit that your strength is, is gone Maybe I'm catching you on a day that you say, my resources have been used up. All of my ideas have been tried. Um, all of my escape plans have been exhausted. Perhaps you would even acknowledge, hey, I've tried to do this without God and I've messed things up. Maybe that's where I'm catching you and you don't know what else to do. And the good thing is I have some really, really good news for you from the word of God, which is this. The God that you serve is not limited by you. It's not limited by your abilities, by your thoughts, by what you could even ask for. He can do more than that. And God can do, listen to this, He can do more than you. He can do more than you can. And to keep this section short, let me just say this as well. Maybe I'm catching you on a good day. So maybe catching you on a bad day, but maybe I'm catching you on a good day where you've gone through this week without little thought from God because your life has gone exactly the way you planned it every day. But let me say this, if, if that's you, then hear the words of Jesus in John 15, 5. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that who bears much fruit. And then listen to this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Apart from God, let me just say this, apart from God, we can do stuff. You can do, you can do a lot of stuff apart from God. But you can't do any stuff that is eternally beneficial apart from God. We do nothing that's beneficially eternal apart from Him. So we need Him. We have to have Him. So God is able means He can do more than us. And then God is able also means that He can do more than it appears that He can do. God is always doing more than it looks like He is doing. God is behind the scenes. He's between the lines. He's beyond this picture of, of our constraints of time and space. God is working. And let me tell you this. God doesn't have to announce in advance, Hey, go outside. I'm about to pass over. Don't want you to miss this. No, God is at work he doesn't need to show up just so we know okay he exists no we already know he exists he's already put that proof there and the picture is he's working and if he wasn't working everything of this created order would be falling apart so therefore he is working and he is at work in the hearts and lives of those who are yielded to him he is at work and then through the lives of people who love him and want him, he is working. And though sometimes we may question his silence, we might say, God, I don't understand why you're being silent in this moment. But yet I still trust, God, that your word says you are for me and you are with me and you are working this for my good and for your glory. So therefore, God is working. He is able. He's doing more. Just think about how the scripture attests that, what, what God is able to do. 
God is able, according to Genesis 21, to hear even the smallest, faintest cry from our lips to him. According to Daniel 3, God is able to deliver us from fiery trials. According to Hebrews 7, God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. According to 1 John 1, God is able to forgive us of all unrighteousness. According to John 10 and 2 Timothy 1, God is able to keep us for all of eternity. According to Matthew 9, God is able to open the eyes of the blind. According to Mark 1, God is able to cleanse the leper, making what was unclean clean. According to Genesis 22, God is able to provide for every need, for he is Jehovah Jireh. According to Hebrews 2 and 1 Corinthians 10, God is able to help us in the midst of our temptations, even providing a way of escape. According to 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make grace abound in us. And according to Ephesians 3, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. Let me say this again, brothers and sisters. God is able. He is able. That is the power working in us, is the power of an able God. A God who is working and will continue to work. And let's let's finish strong. Look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In case you don't know this, the glory of God is the, the beauty and the brightness of God's infinite perfections. The glory of God is what you get when God goes public with himself. The glory of God is what you get, what you get when God, in essence, shows off. When God says, this is who I am, this is me showing off, this is the glory of God. And when you and I rejoice in that glory, let me show you what it looks like. Just a very imperfect glances. Rejoicing in the glory of God is somewhat like players of a football team, we'll call them Georgia, carrying their their coach off of the field after winning the national championship game, just rejoicing in the good. Come on, it's been that long. Give me this. Just give me this. So it's, it's that. Or it's a standing ovation at a concert. Or it's the giddiness and the emotions of a teenager meeting um, their hero or even an older person meeting their hero. I remember a few years ago, I was, and it's not my hero, but a few years ago I was at the Southern Baptist Convention and um, Sitting here, and I look over, and there's David Platt, just a young, brilliant mind, um, one who is his own um, just, just desire and heart for the, the nations has just stirred mine as well. And I'm like, i got to get a picture with this guy. But it wasn't the perfect time. It wasn't the, the best time. But I walk over, and you know, I'm starting to talk to him, trying to ask for a picture. And I'm like, you know, fumbling my words. And his wife starts laughing. And I said, hey. Let's not make this awkward. Can I have a picture with you? And uh, he was like, yeah. And so you know, it was getting that moment. And we all have those moments like, man, it's just, let's just get over this awkwardness. And all I want is a, a picture. But, but think about it. Think about what this picture is. There is praise. And in a sense, there is glory that happens on a football field. There's praise and glory that happens at athletic events. There's praise and glory that happens at concerts or at shows or even at movies. There is praise there, and there is imperfect glory on display there. But according to Paul, look back at verse 21, who is to receive the glory in the church? And here's the picture. Not an athlete, not an actor, not a singer, not a performer. God in Christ 
is to receive the glory for all that takes place here. The church, get this, is a theater in which the world is supposed to see the glory of God. As one pastor put it, we can change the picture and see the church as a hospital established by God where his son Jesus is the only physician. And so, listen to this, God gets glory in the hospital by all the people getting well through the surgery of his son. Ephesians 3.21 then would be translated this way, glory to God in the church, his hospital, and in his son, the surgeon, Jesus Christ. And let me just say this, please, in this moment, don't revert back to an Old Testament understanding of the church. What I mean by that is this, the church isn't just a place you go to to worship. As if if worship only happens a couple times a week when we get together. Now let me say this, although we do thank God for this place of worship. Thank God for this place and for all that he has done in this place that we have set apart and consecrated for the worship of God. But let me say this, brothers and sisters, we are the church. We are the church. We are the place where his glory is on display. The way that we glorify God is we provide ourselves. We provide an arena by which God's glory is on display in and through our lives. So we see that, we want that, we desire that. But let me take a step backwards and maybe contradict myself for just a second and say that although we are the church, according to the word of God, there is an absolute place for a local body, local bodies of believers like the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. And let me say this, the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way is an arena for the corporate worship of God among God's people. It's an arena for God's worship. And and listen to this. God desires to do more here. God desires to do more here. Let me take you on a quick journey of the past of this church, and then I, I promise I'll eventually let you go. How many of you are aware that this year, 2018, the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way is celebrating its 90th year of existence? 90 years. Now, what I'm about to say next, I know some of you might think this is hate speech. This is not hate speech, but here's what I know. Most people who are 90 years old aren't planning a 30-year plan for what's going to happen in 30 years and and 40 years. It's just not a, a picture of what happened. But when it comes to the things of God, let me tell you, 90 years is nothing. God has more in store. So let me just give you a quick history. First Baptist Church of Ocean Way began with 12 people meeting in a 10-foot by 10-foot log cabin. On September 9, 1928, the First Baptist Church was organized. And get this, by the grace of God, just the amazing grace of God, guess what day September 9th falls on this year? On a Sunday that we're able to come together as a people of God and rejoice in the fact that God by His grace has given us 90 years and God by His grace isn't done with us. And we're going to celebrate that in a, in a big way. And so what, what we know is after that, a, a new 40-foot by 60-foot building was opened on August 4th, 1929 in the parking lot. How many of you remember that building? Some of you do. You were there. You were baptized. I believe there was no heat or air um, there. Um, and a lot of window openings, but uh, great memories there. And then what we know is the sanctuary that we're in 
Today was opened on, or dedicated, excuse me, in May of 1966. The Fellowship Hall was dedicated in October of 1975. Along the way, as a faith family, we have started or helped to start nine mission churches. Now let me say this, some on purpose and some on accident. Some of you know what I mean by that. So some of those happen on purpose, some of those happen on accident. But among those, we have helped start it, or sister in a way, Oak Grove, um, Dames Point, Eastport, Pleasant Park, Barford, Duns Creek, Holly Ford, Pecan Park, and then a, a small part in Unity Baptist Church um, right up the road. So just think about that. There may be even more that don't have written down there, but just think about that picture. Now, not a good thing to go up to them and say, hey, who's your daddy? <laughs> you know, we, yeah, not, maybe not in that standpoint, but um, we praise God for that work. The, the next thing is maybe not a big deal for some of you, but it is for me. In March of 1984, First Baptist Church was called Dr. Billy Strickland to come and to be a pastor here. And he came and served for 24 years and faithfully pointed the people at First Baptist Church of Ocean Way to the need of our community, which was the lostness and, and just the heart of people needing the Lord. And then I have no idea what you guys were thinking, but 11 years ago this month, you called this idiot to be your pastor. have no idea what you were thinking in that. And some of you are thinking, we, we didn't either. It, it, it sounded good. Don't know where we went wrong, but here we are now. But I tell you this, even in the midst of idiocy that might be in front of you, I thank God for what God has done in 11 years and how God has added world mission into our DNA. He spliced that into our DNA and still continuing a heart for this community, a heart for the lost, and a heart for the world. And I think when we think about the, the history of our church, when we think about all that God has done, I pray that there is a sense in you that you go, man, God has done some awesome things in our presence. God has been so faithful to us as a church for these almost 90 years that God has been faithful to us. And we rejoice in that and we celebrate in that. But let me say this. Let's not forget this. God desires to do far abundantly more than we can ask or think. Or another way to put it, brothers and sisters, God's not done. He is not done. If you're looking for a church where God is done and God won't ask you to step out on faith, find a different one. Um, because we're going to believe that God's going to ask us to do things that's going to stretch our faith. God's going to ask us to do things that require us to step out on faith. God's going to ask us to do things that we as a faith family will have to lock arms. And we will say we're going to do this by the grace of God, for the glory of God, believing that God is going to show up and God is going to get the glory. And that is our future. That is our past. That is our future. And God will get the glory. He will get the glory. Do you believe that? Do you want that? Oh, I pray that you do. And here's my question. What do you currently believe in God for? What are you asking God for? Is it too little? Is it too little? Or is it something beyond your ability to even imagine? Do we need to trust him more? And I would say, yes, we do. Do we need to ask for more? Yes, we do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to put the verse up here 
one more time, and we're going to just read it together as a faith family. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to call Brother Frank and the musicians forward. But as we say this, understand this is a prayer that Paul is praying, and I pray this is a prayer that you and I can pray together, that we believe this. We're believing this in this moment. So let's say this with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, oh, I pray that in this moment You are stirring the hearts and the affections of Your people. That we are realizing now, God, in a new way that you are more. God, you are more. Father, we, we hold to so many truths of who you are, God, and you're more than that. You're so much more, God. We can't come to the bottom of who you are. We'll never come to the bottom of who you are. That's how great and infinite, God, you are. But yet you're knowable. Lord, we can know you. God, we can know you and we can make you known. Help us, Father, to know you more. And then help us to know, God, that you're a God who wants to do more. God, you want to do more in our individual lives. You want to do more in the lives of our family. And Lord, you want to do more in the life of this, your church. We thank you for almost 90 years of your faithfulness, of your goodness upon us, Lord. But we also recognize, Lord, we believe that you are not done with this, your church. In fact, we believe with the words of Jesus that Jesus, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh God, we pray that you would lead us. God, lead us in the future. God, stretch us, Lord. God, give us the faith as your people to lock arms and to believe you. Lord, even if you ask us to do silly things like walk around walls, believing that you're going to break them down, Lord, help us to do it, believing that you're able. God, you're able. So, Father, we pray, God, that you would do a work in and through your people, all for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.